Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Yeah. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. Shut up. <laughs> like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. In it. That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit that. Whatever it is. <laughs> Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another illusionorific Dark Phoenix Tastic episode of Fanholes Comics. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight. But guess what? I'm not alone tonight. I've got a very special guest with me, one of my pals over from Comic Art Fans. I've got Jason D'Ambrosio with me here tonight, and we're going to talk some comics. So say what's up, Jason. How's it going? Hey, guys. Uh, thanks, Derek, for having me. This is uh, right up my alley, so I appreciate you bringing me in. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if anybody's figured it out from my hints yet, but what we're going to be discussing tonight is an issue of the Uncanny X-Men. I know it's no surprise to anyone who knows Jason because Jason's a big fan of the X-Men. And we're going to be talking specifically, it's the 40th anniversary of Uncanny X-Men issue 175. And that was published by Marvel Comics. The cover date was November 1983, but the on-sale date was August 9th, 1983. It was an anniversary issue at the time, so its cover price was a whopping dollar back then. The title of the story is Phoenix, and the writer is Chris Claremont, penciler Paul Smith, and John Romita Jr., inker Bob Wyacek, letterer Tom Orakowski, colorist Glennis Wayne, or Glennis Oliver, and editor Louise Jones, or Louise Simonson. So I'm going to go ahead and read a short synopsis of what happens in Uncanny X-Men 175, and then Jason and I are going to have a little discussion about it. As the X-Men chop down a rotted tree, an image of the Phoenix Force flashes in the sky. A man plummets from the location where the signal flashed. Rogue catches the man and is surprised to discover it is none other than Cyclops. Cyclops warns the X-Men that Dark Phoenix has returned! Cyclops believes that this new incarnation of the Dark Phoenix is his wife, Madeline Pryor. When he confronted her to ask if she was a reincarnation, he was nearly incinerated by an energy bolt and found Dark Phoenix laughing over him. Professor X tries to confirm Cyclops' suspicions by using Cerebro to verify and locate this new Dark Phoenix. Unfortunately, the feedback nearly electrocutes Xavier, and he's rushed to the infirmary. When the X-Men try to figure out what went wrong, the Dark Phoenix emerges from Cyclops. She attacks Storm and crushes Colossus with her telekinesis. Kitty tries to phase through Dark Phoenix, hoping this will short her out like she can with electronics that she phases through. But no such luck. 
as Kitty herself is shorted out and her dragon Lockheed swatted away. Dark Phoenix stops Rogue's follow-up attack, grabbing her by the neck and tossing her out of the mansion. Wolverine, the only guy with the smarts to know when he's already outmatched, doesn't push a fight as Dark Phoenix leaves the mansion. Storm intends to warn Lalandra of the Shi'ar Empire and Corsair, Scott's father, leader of the Starjammers. Only they find that the Dark Phoenix has already attacked by the time they get a communication through to them. When the X-Men reach out to Captain America and the Avengers for help, it is again too late as the Phoenix Force can be seen enveloping Avengers' mansion in the city. Storm and the X-Men believe that all who they could have warned or those who may have helped them in the coming battle are dead. As Storm and Nightcrawler examine the unconscious body of Cyclops, he is somehow able to see himself as a ghostly or astral form. His ghost form is able to commune with the spirit of his mother for a moment before waking up back in his own body. Cyclops finally accepts that Jean Grey is truly dead and that this new manifestation of the Dark Phoenix must be a trick employed by one of their great enemies. However, when Cyclops goes to warn Colossus and Storm, they only see him as the Dark Phoenix. Cyclops is forced to battle Wolverine, Kitty, Nightcrawler, and Rogue. Psyche uses Kitty's phasing to his advantage and gets her to place him by the controls of the Danger Room. He then sets the Danger Room to replicate the environment of the Savage Land to buy himself some time. Elsewhere, Jason Wingard, also known as Mastermind, has kidnapped Madeline Pryor and is the literal mastermind behind all the X-Men's current problems. He has used his mutant ability of illusion to make the X-Men believe Dark Phoenix has returned and plans to break the spirit of the X-Men when they learn they have killed Cyclops and his new bride-to-be. Meanwhile, Cyclops takes down Wolverine with an optic blast to the back of his adamantium skull and traps Colossus in a pit of quicksand. Cyclops is able to get the drop on Storm and blast her from the sky, and when Rogue jumps in to save Storm from the fall, Cyclops blasts them both. The key to Cyclops' plan is to use Rogue to replicate Professor X's abilities to convince the other X-Men of the illusion. However, Mastermind continues his illusions of Dark Phoenix, and now it is Storm's turn to flush him out using a violent tempest that almost kills her own allies. Wolverine comes across the drowned illusionist and is about to deliver a killing blow when Storm stops him. Cyclops finds Maddie dressed up in a Dark Phoenix outfit, nearly drowned. But after some life-saving mouth-to-mouth, Cyclops revives his current lady love. Later, Cyclops bids farewell to Jean Grey at her gravesite, and then our story ends with the wedding of Scott Summers and Madeline Pryor. And that is, hopefully in a nutshell, the events of Uncanny X-Men issue 175. So, normally... I would have probably asked you before I went through the long-winded synopsis, like what your, you know, kind of what your origin story is with comic books and everything. But I think as people will find, the answer to this question ties in heavily with the issue we picked to discuss. So why don't you tell us, like, what what was the first comic you ever read and how'd you kind of get into comics, Jason? Uh, Derek, first of all, a fantastic job with the recap on that book. You really brought me back. That was uh, incredible work there. This was my one of my first comics, right? I was, um, I don't know, uh, 83. I was like six or seven years old when this came out. And I remember three or four comics that were bought for me in uh, like a shop, right? Or saw like a, a food store somewhere that had a spinner rack. And this was the one. This is the one that really hit home. I often joke that if I had gotten, you know, Issue 174, issue 176 as a little boy, I probably wouldn't be an X-Men fan. and I might not even be a comic book fan. Right? The book was just kind of perfect. It was a perfect storm of a, of a comic for someone 
at an impressionable age to really grasp onto it. So that that's my origin. This book is my origin story, right? You know, it just it was like the perfect. Obviously, you just went through it, but it's just totally action packed, totally you know superhero centric. There isn't a lot of talking heads on it, so it really just caught my attention, and it created a lifelong love of the medium and the characters specifically. And that book definitely. So I, I can't stake the same claim as far as it being like one of the first comics I ever read or even something that I consider what we usually call on this show like a spinner rack comic. Like this was not something I bought off the spinner rack, but it, it, it was a fairly early back issue. Like I forgot I was going to try to look up because I was curious. I was like, I wonder what these issues like this specific issue runs for today, because I seem to remember at the time, you know, it had that dollar cover price. And I think maybe, you know, as a back issue when I picked it up from Comic Zone in Fremont, like, you know, maybe it was like three dollars or five dollars or something like that. But I was always into I think, I mean, the, I, I've not made any secret of this on my own show, but I'm uh, my my predilections lean a bit closer towards like the OG X-Men, the original X-Men. And, you know, I think in some ways, you know, Cyclops being the focus of this issue and then also the, the Dark Phoenix being a focus, you know, illusion or not, you know, like those two things were things that I keyed in on when, you know, when I was going through the the back issue bins and looking at issues to get. And I think even even early on, I mean, I know a lot of you guys love Phoenix and Dark Phoenix and all that other stuff. And I don't think I was any exception back then, you know, like like I saw this and I went, oh, there's another, you know what I mean? Like there's more Dark Phoenix because I remember, you know, getting this and the the Teen Titans X-Men crossover, you know, Dark Phoenix was in that and, you know, hunting down like, you know, the quote unquote key issues back then, you know, some of them were, you know, quote unquote wall books, you know, getting, you know, Uncanny 101 and X-Men 137, you know, anything that seemed like a key and important book. But even for me, like, you know, if I saw, I think it was like what, like X-Factor 13 or something like that or 14, I, I can't oh, remember yeah. which issue, but that one where it's kind of like an illusion and, and Cyclops is seeing, you know, Dark Phoenix you know gene is looking like dark phoenix or some such like i remember that was something that i keyed in on and went oh i should i should get that because that all you know all, all the imagery looked very cool to me and of course the the Cochrane character design looked really really cool so like this cover just in general you know i mean it's funny like now it's the 40th anniversary and back then it was the 20th anniversary issue of x-men so i mean i think that's like super cool like that we get to talk about this and everything yeah no i mean I, i'm right in the same boat with you i mean to this day if i get a commission from an artist it's usually phoenix it's my go-to character obviously i started young but i had the 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 luck of you know buying you know the you know early 200 x-men's and classic x-men was running at the same right, time right yeah. so i was reading both sides of the story so i do have an affinity for the x-men stories even before where I, you know, my age group, because of those classic X-Men, I was reading month to month, like it was a new story. So really ingrained in me a love for the characters. And this book is just a perfect microcosm of that Phoenix story. And if you kind of think of it from a historical standpoint, Phoenix died, what, five years, six years before that, right? With kind of yeah. no mention. So this must have been, you know, my six-year-old me didn't know this was shocking, but could you imagine a guy who was collecting the burn run off the rack and then seeing this cover with her, and, and characters actually died back then, you know, not like today. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that must have kind of been like a, a shock to the system for those collectors. Just when, trying to think when of you, that when you 
that I mean, that's that's something interesting to discuss, because I think my perspective, you know, you, you bring that up of of kind of knowing some aspects of the story beforehand, maybe, or knowing some of the legacy beforehand, whether it's because, you know, you've read classic X-Men or you had Marvel Masterworks or you got, you know, books off the, you know, the wall books, you know, the expensive wall books, you know, I, you know, you bought X-Men 101 or 137 or whatever. So you, you knew the Phoenix died and all that kind of stuff. But I think for me, like I already knew parts of the story before I read this. So there, there was, it's funny because this, this was still pretty early in, in my comics reading, you know, quote unquote career. But I, I think in revisiting this issue, what it, the memories it brought back to me were specifically kind of like knowing something wasn't you know, I was like, something's rotten in Denmark here, right? Like, like I, I you, you're, you're kind of like sitting there going, e even if, even if like you're saying maybe to some people, it's a big deal, right? You see on the cover, oh, Dark Phoenix is on the cover. Wow. Dark Phoenix is back. That's a big deal. Like the cover worked on me for that aspect. But then as I was kind of going through the story and you're like, okay, you see the Phoenix bird, you see Scott come down. Scott's like, Dark Phoenix is back. Professor Xavier, of course, has to get taken out of the picture way early. Otherwise, he would probably spoil the whole issue. And and so you're sitting there going, OK, now what's going on? And then you get to that big splash where they kind of reveal, oh, my God, it's Dark Phoenix. You know, it's like she's back. I think my favorite page in the book is the page that you know follows that splash. Like, I love when she's crushing Colossus and there's those two end panels where you know her hands compress and everything I always thought that was fantastic I, I remember swiping those like for like you know stuff in my own comics or whatever because I just thought that was such a fantastic dynamic you know the way those panels moved you know from from one to the other and then showed you like Colossus basically you know in agony kind of being compressed or whatever and so she takes out all the x-men but then I think like when it got to the point where you saw Corsair and he's like, oh, we're doomed and whatever. And Corsair gets blown up and then it gets to Captain America and it's like Captain America speaking. And then you could see the Phoenix like basically atomizes New York and the mansion. Like, I think by the time it got to there, I was bright enough to be like, all right, Captain America's not dead. This is bullshit. Like, like something's something's not right here. So I, I'm curious, like you being like you said you you've got maybe a handful of comics in this first smattering like for you was this like was the whole thing deadly serious like when you were first on I, that cap page you were like oh my god this thing killed captain america basically i was i was little everything they were showing me was real right it I, was I know, real right you know i joke about one of one of the other comics that i, I first got was an issue of contest of champions okay and so you know, little me thought characters like Talisman and Arabian Night were just as important as Captain America and Wolverine because right, that was the only right. comic I was supposed to. So the same thing with this. Yeah, that was all real until I got to the end of the book. It was very shocking. And just taking a step back with something you, you described, I'm going to go a little comic art nerd for you. Yeah. But that, that splash page you said where Phoenix, where she says I'm back, right? Or you miss me. That's what she miss says. Me. She says yeah. miss me on it. And uh, that's the ultimate piece. If I could ever own that page, that's my ultimate comic art grail. I know the, who owns it. And he actually owns the three-page sequence you just described. That page, uh, the okay. page, and then the, the throwing I mean, rogue, right? Throwing yeah. rogue around page. Okay. 
Yeah. So, you know, it's just that powerful that that book is that important to me on so many levels. Like I said, you know, Phoenix is still the character to this day that if I ask someone to draw something for me, that's what I'm asking for. Speaking of that, you have a recreation of the splash, right? I do. I do. Because the person who owns it is never selling it. So (laughs) I know him. (laughs) It's it's a, it's a really cool recreation. So, I mean, it, it, it looks just like the, you know, the original, basically. Yes, that's what I do sometimes when I can't get what I want, Derek. And and you know me pretty well. I'm pretty good at getting what I want. Yeah. Something's yeah. Still, still out of my reach. But the book itself is just, it's, you know, Claremont was in his prime then, right? That's when he was really hitting his stride. Like, I just think those stories were so well developed. And, you know, as a child reading it, it was crazy that, you know, I didn't know who, who Quasar was, but he was dead. And then, But I did know who Captain America was, and I couldn't believe he was dead. And, you know, uh, you know, other than the, I think they go into, like, the monologue, right? Wingard goes on his monologue with Madeline, and, and that's where the big reveal is. If you don't, if you weren't smart enough, like you were, to know that, you know, that wasn't real, that's where you get it. But but Claremont, you know, you could tell that he, that that issue was a real culmination of something he was building for a year I'm or curious. two. I'm curious. I'm curious. Like, like when you, when you first read this, did this also influence like who some of your favorite X-Men would go on to be like, cause I know you have your, you know, your favorites and everything. Like did, did the, the way certain characters acted and, and how they operated, like, make an impression on you as early as this issue or were you just kind of taking it all in and maybe some of those aspects you know like some of the picking favorites maybe did that come later or did was it was it like love at first sight where you saw like certain characters in this issue and went oh man this this guy's rad i want to buy everything this guy's in that's where the wolverine love came from right okay the panel where he is you know about to kill Wingard at the end there, it burned into my brain, right? Like that was, you know, my exposure to superheroes before this comic was, you know, uh, Saturday morning cartoons and like Justice, uh, what what do they call the Justice Super Friends? Super Super Friends. Friends. You know, that kind of like all really like Boy Scout superheroes. So that Wolverine scene really was ingrained, but also, you know, I know Cyclops gets a lot of, of, bad publicity nowadays but you know sykes the hero in that book and, and oh yeah, he takes yeah. And that definitely resonates till today yeah i mean he's he's basically doing what i mean you know uh, you know much to uh much to dan chagrin like cyclops is basically like poning every single x-man in this and you can find excuses and they think he's the phoenix and they are hesitating because they're not sure what's going on and certain things like that but to to me this is this is kind of no different than that that takedown of the x-men by spider-man and secret wars 3 where it's it's one guy and he you know to me cyclops is in that great line of you know, leader type characters, whether it's Robin Nightwing from Teen Titans or, you know, Captain America and the Avengers, they're all like expert strategists, you know, and this definitely, I mean, if you're, if you're a Cyclops stan, right? Like, I mean, I, I love Cyclops, right? Like, I mean, this is a great issue for that because he, he, he goes and warns them. He's, 
he's kind of convinced by the illusion to begin with, but as he, you know, as he's experienced it longer than any of these other characters, he starts to figure out almost, you know, immediately what's going on, like that it's not quite up to snuff, you know, even before you get to the the sort of I guess, as you described it, like the reveal page where, you know, Mastermind is basically going into his master plan and what he's been up to and how he's convinced both Scott and the X-Men that, you know, somehow Madeline is the the new Dark Phoenix or whatever. And and, and no, to me, you know, I, I, I chuckle, too, because I mean, I know I know you're a Wolverine fanboy, but there and, and what's funny is, I mean, I'm not going to deny like early on, I think everybody's a fan of Wolverine. I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not going to pretend like I wasn't, but the, 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 to me, like there, there's certain points where uh, I think just like you said in, in, you know, certain circles, you know, Cyclops gets a bad rap after, you know, many, many years, like there's certainly circles where, you know, people are kind of, you know, tired of the overexposure or, you know, they, they, they basically stretched Wolverine basically as thin as he can be stretched, just like Batman, right? Like, you know, it's like, dude, Batman's basically all the titles in DC comics, right? So like there's there's aspects of that where, you know, you can easily kind of get tired of the overexposure. So it's like, you know, to me, I can I can have a good yuck when when Cyclops, you know, nails Wolverine in the back of the skull in this or whatever, or, you know, some of their confrontations earlier, you know, between the two characters in the team, but I also kind of like it when, when they're bros, you know, and they're, they're fighting together and they see eye to eye as well. So, I mean, you know, there's, there, there's different good examples of both those, those things, whether they're allies or at odds. And, you know, th- this is kind of just a, a, a decent example of, of all the characters. Cause they, you know, what's nice about it is, I mean, Cyclops gets a lot of moments in this, but I think, you know, Wolverine, like you said, he gets some moments in this storm gets her moment. You know what I mean? Like, so there's, there's, there's a lot of moments for all the different characters too, that you could end up, you know, finding, you know, some of your favorites and everything and, you know, kind of picking those out and, and seeing, you know, what, what X-Men you kind of key in on. Well, that's another reason why the book is such a great jumping on point because of that Cyclops technician stuff going on. He has to basically describe each character, right? Mm-hmm. So you're coming, mm-hmm. coming, not knowing who these characters are. He's basically breaking down who the character is, what they do, you know, what their power sets are, what their weaknesses are. So it's another reason that the book is just was just like the perfect storm for me coming in as a boy. To, to, to fall in love with it, right? Because, you know, your average comic doesn't go character by character breaking down what they do every single issue. So I think that's another plot device there that, that Claremont knew this book was going to be a book that people were going to pick up off the stand, maybe who hadn't read X-Men for years or, or someone just catching somebody's eye. It was really a, a well-designed plan to, as an anniversary issue, to draw in and and give kind of a quick synopsis without it looking like a quick synopsis. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, to me, it's one of those lost arts in comics because, you know, this is the editorial reign of Jim Shooter, right? Like, and that's, I think that's part of his influence too. You know, it's like Claremont's well known for having, you know, a bunch of expository stuff and all these captions, you know, with people's names and what their powers are and everything. But you know, what's nice about what you just said about this is that's in here, but it's all really done with the context of the story. Like you said, Cyclops is your, your almost your exposition through line, right? He's the one kind of, you know, telling you, Oh, this is Storm. This is her power. What I need to do to 
to stop her from mailing me is, you know, X, Y, Z or whatever, you know, like, and so it's a lot nicer, I think, than having, you know, there's certainly those, those Claremont written issues where it's just a simple roll call, you know, it's just the narrator, you know, listing a caption in a box that has everybody's name, whereas what you're talking about, a lot of that, there's a lot of exposition, but it's cleverly interlaced into the action and the dialogue and the plot. And so you don't necessarily feel like you're being talked down to but when you were a brand new reader like you were it was a wonderful introductory issue to the team and everything we're the x-men and we want you to join us but why because you're a mutant like us a person with extra power our teacher professor x will train you in the best ways to use your powers it's a chance to help all mankind as well as yourself what do you say yes and that's how I met the X-Men. This this made me think of something else, too. So, And I think I might know the answer to this, but I'm just based on what you had already said. But I'm just kind of curious, like, because a lot of things I notice with, with my reading patterns, especially when I was, you know, young and getting introduced to things, like some things I was issued, you know, like you said, you, you, you were kind of given you know, a couple comics, right? And this was, you know, by the grace of God, right? You were handed some of these comics and had it been something else, maybe, maybe you wouldn't have gone on to be a comic fan, or maybe you wouldn't have necessarily been an X-Men fan or, you know, whatever the fringe universe version of Jason D'Ambrosio would have been a fan of, right? But it's, it's not this universe, right? Because this universe is totally X-Men. But when I was a kid, you talked about super friends, right? Like super friends was like a big deal for me. And like, there were lots of things, whether it was like, you know, secret wars, you know, the toys or superpowers, the toys. So it's like based on like a lot of that multimedia input that I got, like that made me either more comfortable to go after things that I saw as recognizable off the spinner rack. And like, I I always find the X-Men interesting because you know, the further I go back and look, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, well, technically, you know, had you seen the Marvel superheroes show, you know, you, you might have seen some X-Men cameos here or there. You know, if you were really playing close attention, right? Like like to me, like th- this is probably a good example. But you know what my introduction to Magneto was? Not this time, Magneto. This time I'm fighting for real. It's impossible. It cannot be. Nothing can defy my magnetic power! The Fantastic Four can. You're finished, Magneto. Surrender. You have no other choice. Why? Why will the gun not obey me? My power is gone. I'm helpless. Magnetism! It was my greatest weapon. And without it, I am lost. It's over, Magneto. You're having a chance. I surrender. I give up anything, anything. Without my power, I cannot fight. And the battle is ended. The signal. Orders from the Fantastic Four. Close in. Take Magneto prisoner. Here come the police. You won't be lonely much longer. Okay, Richards. We'll take care of him now. First, tell me. How did you do it? How did you take away my power? I didn't, Magneto. I merely tricked you. You lie. 
I couldn't control your gun. You made me lose my magnetism. You're wrong. I just guessed that you'd overlook one simple thing. Your magnetic power only works on metal, like all magnets. But my gun isn't real. I made it out of wood, specially to fool you. What? A wooden gun? That's why your power didn't work. And it's why you're a prisoner of the police now. Take him away, man. A wooden gun. They tricked me with a wooden gun. It was What's the that? Fantastic Four cartoon with Herbie the Robot. So, and oh. we always we always yuck it up about that because we we love that 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 uh, episode because at the end you know he's undone by Reed Richards because Reed Richards is holding a wooden gun and Magneto's like my powers they do not work you know and he's like ha ha I fooled you Magneto and as they're carting him away into the police wagon with fucking metal handcuffs no less like they're carting him away he's like foiled and he's like he's like he's like basically he's like well magneto like this was a wooden gun he's like a wooden gun and i'm like he's just told you like he just told you what the ploy was like now you can break free and use your powers again but of course he doesn't do it because it's a you know it's a cartoon and it has to end after 22 minutes no i read going to what you're saying the the early you know the earliest i remember the x-men outside of the comics is is a Spider-Man and his amazing friend, right? They were in a couple episodes. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like the the Juggernaut, where and Wolverine's definitely in that one. And then there's the the Firestar one, where it's got like Thunderbird and. Yeah, well, that know. was the okay. Thunderbird's the one I'm actually thinking of right now because I remember watching that cartoon and being like, "Who's Thunderbird? He's not an X-Men. He's not in the comics that I, I read." You know, because I was a little kid and the only I was you know 175, 206, like those were the sporadic comics that I had at that point. So it was a character. I was like, this isn't an X-Men. The other people are. And that was confusing to my little brain, like not realizing there was a past or a future, really. You know, like that. these were the, the six X-Men I know. Why do they look different on Spider-Man? Uh, you know, but I still loved it. I used to, you know, you know, try to stay up. And that show was on very early on a Saturday morning. And I would try to, like, stay up all night to make sure I didn't miss it. Like, crazy. Like, that was, uh, I was kind of, you know, because, you know, it was different times then. You couldn't just, you know, click on your phone and bring up any episode of anything in the world. You know, but that, you know, goes to what you're saying. But, you know, I liked Batman and I liked the, the Super Friends and I liked that stuff, too. I just it wasn't it didn't grab me in the comics the way that the Marvel and the X-Men especially did. And I don't know. And I I boil it down to the fact that those, you know, three or four comics I was given and read a thousand times because again I was six or seven years old I wasn't going to the the, the comic shop or anything it was you know if I was uh, happened to be in a store with my mother or my aunt and there was a spinner rack uh, you know a, uh, a CVS or something you know a pharmacy or a 7-eleven or a supermarket that had it so it was sporadic and it was you know not till later you know, probably like 10 or so where I was getting comics consistently and able to, to develop my tastes a little bit. But, you know, that's just how, where, how I got where I am. And this comic, like I said, is, is the keystone of everything that I collect at this point. So seeing as how this was like the first comic you ever got, like you've, you've kind of made it no secret that getting uh, an original page from this issue was your Holy grail. And, 
as far as what not not uh, last year you you were able to get a page from this issue so i i was just curious like do you want to talk about that a little bit like tell us you know tell the listeners the story of, of like how that came to be like what page it is and and how how you ended up becoming the proud owner of one of the pages from x-men 175 sure i mean uh so a few years ago i had stopped collecting comics for a while maybe eight years ago or 10 years ago or something like that life just got busy and i, I kind of moved away from it and about six years ago you know i had all these long boxes and i was just moving them around and didn't know what to do and i decided i wanted to give them away, donate them to somebody who would read them because comics were important to me. And I wanted kids today to, to feel, have the same opportunity I had. So when I was going through everything to, to donate them, I, I kind of realized I still loved them. So I gave away a bunch, but I, I kept some and I decided I was going to build out some runs of stuff that I had not gotten when I was younger, X-Men specifically. And I started reading comics again and I started accumulating books again. And I'm like, I had all these long boxes. This is why I stopped collecting. So I uh, was actually down by Anthony Schneider's uh, warehouse and I saw a comic art and I was like, wow, this is probably better than the books, right? It's one of a kind. I was really drawn to it. When I was younger, I worked in a comic shop and, and my boss collected comic art. So I knew it existed. I just never really had a, a venue to purchase it. And once I started collecting comic art, that was it, right? Full-fledged into art. Books are on the back burner. You know, I still read some stories here or there, but the art took over. And the first thing that I really decided I, I wanted, you know, as kind of a grail is like my first book. Let's get a page from that. For those of you who don't collect comic art, Paul Smith, the artist on X-Men 175, is probably one of the toughest X-Men artists to find any pages of, never mind a 175 page. So it wasn't, you know, you can't just go on eBay and, and, and dial it up. So I was collecting for a few years and looking and, and you know, contrary to what, you know, what, the old timers I've met always kind of told me when I started out, don't tell people what you like, because then they're going to try to hold you up for it if they have it. I went the total opposite way, Derek. I, I tell everybody what I want. I tell, want you, you guys, whoever's listening to this, if you own X-Men pages from the 80s and 90s, reach out to me. Let's talk about it because I want the world to know because I'd rather see it and not be able to buy it than not know where it is. So I kind of put the word out that I was looking for an X-Men Paul Smith page, 175 specifically, and I wound up actually getting a page from 167 first. So, you know, that was probably three, four years ago at this point. I got the 167 page. I was content, but not what I really wanted. So a friend of mine... <laughs> pings me one day out of the blue with a picture of the page that I have now and says, oh, my God, this random person in Chicago just told me he has this page. Is this the book that you've been looking for? And I'm like, yeah, it is. How, well, can I have it? And, you know, he told me the number and the number was extraordinary, way more than I had ever spent on any collectible, including my X-Men one. But it wasn't a deal break. I was going to figure it out because at that point I was looking for four years without anyone even sniffing the option of selling them. So I reached out to this person in Chicago and I introduced myself and I told them my story and I told them why I wanted this page and, you know, who had introduced me to him and 
he was very nice and he told me his number and it was a little bit lower than the number my friend was told. So that made me a little happy. And I told him I wanted. There was no haggling. There was no question. There was no anything. There was there, the only thing I asked is, you know, can I have some time to put the money together? Because it was a big number. And he was gracious enough to do that. I did wind up having to sell my 167 page to fund a portion of the 175 page, but I would do it again in a heartbeat. You know, I was actually having not an argument, but a spirited discussion with a fellow collector a few weeks ago, real big collector. And, you know, he said that, you know, people will sell anything if they're offered the right number. And I said, no, that's not true. And, I, and he's, well, you've never been offered enough or what have you, whatever he said. And the reason I was saying that is because I would have to sell every single piece of comic art and every single comic book I have before I even consider selling that 175 page. That's how important it is. I, I think I know who, who you're talking about, and, and I remember the spirited uh, discussion. I mean, I, I get what you guys, I, I sort of get what both people are saying, but I, I kind of think of it in terms of like, are there things that I would sell before I'd sell my comic art? And the answer is probably yes. And then, and then when you kind of itemize it as well, right? You're saying like, look, I may end up selling, you know, my, you know, some of my comic art, right? Like you just said, oh, I sold the one Paul Smith page to fund the Paul yep. Smith page I really wanted, right? And there's, there's, you know, trade-offs you make and, and, and things you would consider selling, you know, depending on, you know, what, what the return was, right? But there's certainly things where you think about it and you go, you know what, this is, I mean, you know, yeah, obviously, you know, you pass away or you, you know, leave it to your family or your heirs or whatever, right? But for the most part, like you're gonna, you know, like you yourself, you want to hold on to this page, you know, and, and, you know, you can't take it with you, but at least you're going to hold on to the page until then, right? As long as possible, right? There's other stuff that if I've got the right offer, I'd take it off the wall and pack it up. But that page, it's not going anywhere. They're impossible to find. They're locked up in collections. And even though it's oversized, there's not that many of them to be, to get, to be spread around the hobby. So I, I'm very proud to own it. I'm very happy to own it. I'd love to own another one if it ever happens. But if it doesn't, I have what I need for me. Well, you, you did say that uh, that this this uh, revisit of uh, the issue inspired you to to a new mission. Like, do you want to tell everybody? Maybe maybe who knows? Maybe there's somebody who's listening to this that somehow magically knows. Right? Yeah, no, it could sure. help you with the new mission, right? As um as Derek said in the beginning, there's actually two pencilers on it. Right. The, the Paul Smith did the heavy lifting of it. I think he did all but five pages, if I if I remember correctly. And then John Romita Jr. did the last five pages. You know, it's really known as a Paul Smith book, but it was a transition for X-Men because that's the last that's the end of the Paul Smith run. And then Romita kind of takes over shortly after that. And I never really thought about it when I was looking for a page like I. Consciously, I knew there was two pencilers on it, but it, it never, you know, it's a Paul Smith book. That's how I think, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It was most of the book and all the action I love and the splash I love. That's all Smith. So when I was looking for a page, it was, I want a Paul Smith page. But, you know, after rereading it and really looking at those last five pages, I, I thought about it. I'm like, where are the Ramita pages? Yeah. You know, that I've never come across one of them. And, you know, I went, you know, 
Derek knows we we collectors have our, our our ways to go look up stuff. You go look on CAF and you go look in the heritage archives and you go look on, you know, you Google and you poke around and you know you go on Facebook and look at like fan sites for Ramita or X Men or what have you. And I can't really find any of where where any of those five pages are. So my next quest is probably going to be to try to source. Well, it's going to be to find them first, right? First we got to find them, right? <laughs> then we're gonna try and source them. So, wish me luck, everybody, because that's the yeah. next challenge in my. I mean, my honestly, culture. like like you talked about how that Wolverine moment was a uh, watershed moment for you. I guess pun intended, right? Because Storms drowned everybody, and he's about to stab the hell out of you know Jason Wynn, right, guard? But um, like that's clearly uh, one of the Romita pages, right? Like, yep. I mean, there, you know, it's like the, if you look at the, if you look at the credits, it says Paul Smith did one through 29 and John Romita Jr. did 30 through 38. So it's a little more than the last five pages, but I mean, there's, you know, like for me, I think my favorite of the Romita Jr. is I, I really like that high yourself moment, you know, where he's, you know, Scott is giving mouth to mouth to, to Maddie and kind of resuscitates her and, and she says hi and he says hi yourself and then kind of embraces her. Like, I really like that last panel between the two of them. I think that's a good one. I guess, you know, to, to me, like I was thinking about what you were just saying. And, and sometimes it's fun to reexamine things because sometimes, you know, you, you, you get locked into a, a certain way of thinking. Right. Like you said, you were kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, uncanny X-Men 175. And I, I don't think, you know, I, I don't think you're alone in that. I mean, I think I think when I suggested this, I was like, oh, yeah, I know. Jason loves this book. And it's that great Paul Smith issue with the awesome Dark Phoenix, like, you know, squishing Colossus with her hand. Like, that's that's what I thought of, you know, and I remember buying the back issue and everything. So I just like you, you know, I kind of think of this as a as a Paul Smith book. You know, I remember the splash and the the battle between them and, and all that kind of stuff. And and then when you kind of sit here like this and, you know, do do this kind of what we call, you know, nerd examination of the issue and get into the nitty gritty, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, John Romita Jr. did quite a number of, of pages as well, right? For me, we just did, uh, you know, because one of my favorite books is uh, the limited series of Magic. Like, I love that book, right? And and I think I kind of thought of it the same way, like where I think I was thinking to myself, oh, if I ever got a page from that, and this still might be true. I mean, I, you know, you know how you said, you know, you got a Paul Smith page from, you know, one issue, but, you know, you're, you're, your dream page was from 175, right? So I don't know, maybe my maybe my dream magic page would definitely be a John Vasima page, right? But, you know, examining the miniseries, it's like he did the first two issues and then Ron Friends did the third issue and then Sal Vasima did the fourth issue. So, you know, it's not, you know, maybe, maybe a possibility is that, you know, you know, you might not get the Basima page, the John Basima page, right? Like that, I, that I was focused on. But you know, maybe an option or a possibility is to get a Ron Friends or a, a Sal Basima page, right? There, there's plenty of things like that where, you know, you might you might be hyper focused on something, and you know, I mean, you know, some in some cases, right? There's only one person who did the one book, and that's it. But in some cases like these, you know, you examine it and realize, oh yeah, you know, there's there's a couple different people who worked on this book, so you might be able to capture some of that nostalgia, you know, some of that love. And, you know, maybe it's spread out among a couple different artists, you know, a couple different people you can track down. Yeah, Derek, I think that's the evolution of both of our collecting, right? Like the last time I looked at this book and read it, I wasn't a, a comic art collector. Yeah. So I didn't really yeah. 
those terms. You know, I was a comic collector. And a comic collector, you know who the artist is of, of record, right? And you don't really think if there's a secondary artist or in some cases where there's multiple anchors on a book and stuff like that. So you kind of look at it through a different lens. That magic, what you're talking about is ma- the magic miniseries. That's exactly, I feel, when I think of it, I think of a John Buscema book. But you're right. I know it. They're, the, the last two issues are different. So maybe we do need to go back and read some, reread some of our favorite books yeah. and find yeah. some uh, opportunity where, where, where it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, I think, I mean, I don't know, like, unless, unless you have any final thoughts on, on Canny X-Men 175, I think, I think we kind of covered it. Like I, I covered everything I wanted to talk to you about and ask you, unless you have any other, any other final thoughts on the, the issue oh, the itself. Only thing, only thing you didn't really cover, I guess, is the marriage, right? That's the Madeline Cyclops marriage at the end of it. And, yeah, uh, they, they they have the 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 wedding scene. There's a the splash is where it has all those those credits, right? That tell you who yep. did the page breakdown and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I guess I guess in some ways, you know, it was supposed to be a, you know, putting putting uh, the the specter of Jean Grey to rest, so to speak, right? For for Cyclops, you know, I mean that didn't that didn't exactly work out in the long run, but you know. Uh, at least for for this particular issue, if you take it at face value, like that that was uh, supposed to be a somewhat of a definitive moment. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go with it. It was supposed to button up the whole Gene story and move on to the next chapter. And uh, you know that chapter ends with Maddie being Goblin Queen, which is a whole other story. I'm sure we could get into. Yeah. But it it's an important moment in the 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 X Men ethos, right? Like. That marriage creates Nathan, which creates Cable, which creates the Goblin Queen, which, you know, that's the one thing I miss about comics now. When I do pick them up is the the continuity of the the longer reaches of the stories isn't there anymore, right? Because, you know, a writer's only on a book for a year or two. Right, right. Claremont was on X-Men for uh, 20 years, 18 years, whatever it wound up being, and then came back. I mean, those stories, if you go back and reread that stuff, you can find tendrils from 10 years before that he, before you find the axon. Yeah, you're right that there's not a lot of uh, long form writing like that anymore. Like there's no, you know, the, whatever business model they, they use now just doesn't sustain that anymore. Like at, at best, you know, if you're lucky, you get, you know, maybe a year's worth of stories or, you know, maybe a couple years. Right. I mean, I suppose you can point to something like, you know, guys, they let stay on the book because they're hot writers, whether it's, you know, S- Scott Snyder or Grant Morrison or somebody, you know, maybe they let them stay on the book or they like being on the book for, for a couple years and they don't get tired of it. But there's nothing to compare. I mean, you know, and Claremont's one of those guys who had you know, one of the lengthiest runs on a title, period, right? I mean, you can think of other guys that, that come close, right? Like Mark Grunwald and Peter David and stuff like that. Yeah. But I don't I don't think any of it compares to, to Claremont's tenure on X-Men. And I, I mean, at, at bare minimum, I mean, without going too much into the, 
the dirt on it. I mean, this era of Claremont is always usually top notch, right? Like, I mean, you know, that's that's the era that everyone's fond of, you know, and, and even, you know, across the years, right? I mean, I feel like at any rate, you know, there's always there's always gems you can pluck from those eras. And I, I think that's probably why, you know, that's that's a lot of your art collecting focus too, right? Because I think you 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 kind of enjoy this era of uncanny and and the, the history and the legacy it has and you know i mean that's that's one of those things i, I i'm i'm always impressed i mean I, I know you had a few caveats here and there but but your 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 goal right like you had that goal where you 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 wanted a page from like every every artist that that sort of worked consecutively on uncanny x-men and for the most part with like a few exceptions i mean you, you pretty much achieved that goal so i i always thought that was really impressive yeah anybody who did three consecutive issues of pencils on the x-men i wanted to get a page from i got as close as i can derek you know the, the oh yeah yeah no i i get it i think you'll find my x-men a very pleasant group once you get to know them miss bride Scott, I have someone up here I'd like you all to meet. Sure thing, Professor. All right. Well, I think uh, we'll uh, we'll call it a wrap on Uncanny X-Men 175. Thank you very much for coming on the show and talking about your personal experiences with Uncanny X-Men 175. It means a lot to me that you came on and everything. And I, I don't know, like, like normally at this point in the show, like most times people have like their own shows or, or podcasts or things to promote or whatever. Like, is there anything like that you want to promote as far as your online social media presence? Like if people want to get in contact with you and tell you about some great X-Men page, like, or is there some place you want to direct them to like your, your Instagram or Facebook or something oh. like that? My comic art fans page is under my name, Jason D'Ambrosio. And my Instagram is what? Unstoppable Comics 51, I think. Feel free to reach out. But they can always, you can always get me, Professor. So if they got <laughs> something for me and they want to reach out to you, we'll know. Yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. If, if you guys want, yeah, you can reach out to me. We're, we're over here. If you have any uh, uh, juicy emails with uh, X-Men page content for, for Jason D, you can send the emails to fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We're on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, and retweets that we receive. We can be streamed. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play, Spotify, and Amazon Music. You can direct download the backlog of episodes of comics motherfucker do you read them over on the blog spot it's on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com you can direct download all those episodes and then any of our other you know the proper show the spinoff shows and everything like that on the blog spot and i think that'll do it good night everybody and this is going to be derek derek wc signing off I'll give you a topic for another show if you want before we sign off here. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, a lot of people our age are worried about where the medium is going, right? Comic books, because, you know, they tend to say kids don't read as much as they used to. 
I think the downfall of comics is going to be the conti continuity because people like me and you who were reading back then, the story continued. So it never gave you a, a dropping off point. Today's comics, there's dropping off points every six to eight months. And there's no reason to continue on the story um, the way it was when we were younger. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, 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 you know, to me, I feel like I could speak to it now or, you know, talk about it on some other show. But I mean, you know, the, the, I think my common go to is, you know, everyone's jumping on point like they, they, they you know, I think the business model as it stands that they, they always talk about, well, this is a great jumping on point. This is a great jumping on point. And when they say it's a great jumping on point, they usually mean that they've started with a brand new number one for a sales boost and they've jettisoned that continuity that you're talking about from, you know, previous iterations or stories or what have you. And I think the problem with that, like you said, is everybody's jumping on point is uh, a lot of people's jumping off point just as easily. And and so that's, you know, that's the problem that you run into. I mean, I don't know, like, you know, some, sometimes there, there are people that, you know, are, you know, creator driven in some of the new, you know, like that, that's their continuity, right? Like they, you know, j just like you're following, you know, an artist that you like when you buy original art, you know, some people are driven by, you know, their continuity is, oh, well, I like, you know, I don't know, for me, like, like, that, that's something I notice in myself is, even though I'm a comic reader, and I love the same continuity that you love, there's only so many reboots and, and restarts and number ones you can go through before all that continuity becomes irrelevant. I mean, you know better than anybody how much I, uh, I focus on the continuity of stuff, and I appreciate it. But even me who loves all that stuff, if you get to a certain point with me where you start bringing in the new 52 and the rebirth and the post fucking flashpoint and the, all this other shit, like you start asking me like, well, what happened to this guy after that? I'll be like, dude, fuck if I know, man. Like, and it's not, it's not because I can't look it up and find out. It's because I, I don't care. You know what yep. I mean? Like, like, it's well, like, it's I mean. like, once you cut the continuity where you, we love why read it. <laughs> Yeah, because because it's it's something totally foreign anyway. It might as well be something different or new or or whatever, right? And so you don't you're, you're not as um, you know you're not as invested in it because it doesn't have that legacy. And and you know I don't know they you know they 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 try to you know dance around it and you know go back to certain things. But I think once like you said once you have that jumping off point or that that kind of gap in the road, right? Then then it becomes a little tougher. And I guess what I was trying to get to was sometimes, you know, the continuity for me these days can be, you know, you know, like speaking of X-Men, right? I mean, you know, for, for me, like like unfortunately, it's like the last time I really got involved and and enjoyed reading X-Men on a regular basis was because of Jonathan Hickman. But yep. Once Jonathan Hickman left, my interest in X-Men kind of dissipated, too. You know what I mean? So it's like I'll I'll follow Jonathan Hickman to the next thing he does because I'll, I'll have a, a kind of continuity and interest in that. But I, I don't think it carries over to these franchises the way they would like it to. You know, like I, I think it 
you know, in some ways my loyalties have shifted, you know, in that sense, because I think that's, that's how I tend to approach like reading modern comics. Like, I mean, a lot of times I, I am still character driven, you know, like I like ghostwriter. I mean, I read a lot of shitty ghostwriter comics and I read a lot of good ghostwriter comics. Right. But a lot of times, like, I think, you know, something that I'm maybe not quite so character focused on, like I'm not, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, an X-Men guy, like per se, but I have enough friends that read X-Men. So I, I basically know like when an X-Men run is good and when an X-Men run is shitty. And if it's shitty, I think I stay the hell away from it. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's, I, I, I think that's part of the, uh, you know, I don't know the, the, oh, you're, the, you're a hundred percent right. Yeah. I mean, what's the, the Hickman Krakoa been running for what, three years now, something like that? Yeah. And, and for what, for the last year and a half, he's had nothing to do with it. So I, I haven't, I haven't read those comics. I mean, I guess with some exceptions, I mean, occasionally, like I, I actually popped my head in cause I was curious about Wolverine cause he was basically East uh, beast went like full evil or whatever. And so I was just curious what was going to happen with that. And I, I read it for a little bit and then it looked like um, nothing happened. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, like, like, I don't know. I was expecting like some, some final fatal thing to happen, you know, like maybe Wolverine would stab him in the face or, you know, something right. Like, but something of, of consequence, but not, not really like, like it, it just kind of was a big buttload of nothing. So, um, you know, I don't know. Well, I, I, you know, that, I think I think the main status quo now is is something popular. Well, let's keep milking it until it's nobody likes yeah. it anymore. You know what I mean? Like that's that's kind of what it seems like. Yeah, for an old time collector like me, I actually start started collecting again the Uncanny Run before the Hickman. Okay, so um, that okay. You know, Cyclops and Wolverine trying to get the team back together, whatever that storyline was. And I was, it was okay, and I was kind of into it, and I was buying it monthly. I was back to going to my comic shop and getting books, and and then it just ended, right? And then Hickman was there, and then they had – everybody could res, get resurrected immediately. And they came out with 62 titles again, and I couldn't keep up. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was also part of the problem, too. Yeah. <laughs> it was a great jumping – it was a great point for me to go, yeah, I don't need long, long boxes of comics again. Let me stop reading. And that's what I mean. Like – uh they had me back in, I was in, and then they gave me it out, and I took it. Buddy, I am sorry I took us on a tangent at the end. No, 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 no. That's that's what, um, that's, I mean, we tangent all the time. I talk about so much, like, goofy-ass shit on this. Like, most people are like, Derek had a... 20-minute monologue about why he didn't like Picard season three. So don't, don't worry about it. I, I, I do all kinds of goofy shit. So it's not, it's fine with me. Like, I mean, I like, yeah. I like talking about that stuff. But I, part of me feels like I'm like, I, I, I rant about that every other, you know, you know, I, I talk about that every other podcast where I'm like, you know, everybody's jumping on point. Somebody's jumping off point. You know, it's too bad though. Like, I mean, I, I do, I mean, like I have to admit I was hyper-focused with it. Like I, you know how you said the, the Krakoa thing, they, they launched like, you know, seven books and kept going and made more and more titles. Like I did not read all of them. Like for me, like I was like, Oh, I like Hickman. 
and I read House of X and Powers of X. And I liked House of X and Powers of X. And I understand why people were pissed off that they spent like five bucks or six bucks on a comic book. And a lot of it was just, you know, the same panels and story points from like the previous issue just seen in a different light like i can appreciate that i can appreciate why people are pissed off the page count includes you know a bunch of little diagrams of you know different memos and all this other shit however i still liked all those story points i really wanted to see where it was going i read the x-men book like that Hickman wrote like if Hickman had something to do with it I I would read that and I'd peripherally pay attention to maybe some of the other books or whatever and then you know it's like when when they announced he was leaving it was like I tried to keep reading the stuff that he wrote until he left but then it just seemed like they didn't you know they certainly didn't let him finish with whatever his original concept was so i'm i'm kind of desperate for their whatever the statute of limitations is like you know 20 years from now when he can like tell us all like what he actually wanted to do because i'd like to know what that was but um but yeah it's funny you say that because that was like i'm a completist right like i need i want to know the whole story so i tried to keep up with all those books and i was like there's no way like I stopped collecting because I didn't have time to to read it what I was buying because I had my pull list for like years after I stopped reading just out of habit. And then when I came back and I'm like, I can't keep up with it. This is exactly why I stopped. And uh, because, you know, that was the way I absorbed the universe before. So I just expected to absorb it the same way. Well, that, that's it, the problem. They, they They say they don't need the old readers, but yet. They depend on the old readers, whether it's guys that are speculators that buy all the variant covers and all that bullshit, or they depend on guys like you or me, right? I'm not going to exclude myself from that. I'm just saying sometimes I get get wise to that stuff where it, it was like, oh, wait. You know, Derek liked reading House of X and Powers of X. Like, this is a thing that that people are interested in. And they might spend money on. Okay, now let's milk the shit out of it and make like yep. you know forty fucking books with all this on it. And it's like I don't, you know, that I don't, you know, I'm like, I don't know, it's stupid, right? But I'm like, homie, don't play that anymore. Like, I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I I've I'm been right I've been I'm burned right too many times, you know. If it kept two books, I'd probably still would have never stopped. Yeah. And it was just, you know, uh, you know, and, and with the X-Men, it's like, well, I like Kitty, so I got to read, you know, Marauders. And I like right, this right, character, right. I read Helions, and I like this character, so I got to read, you know, X-Force. And, you know, it just became... And they, and they, they took advantage, right? And that, that's the thing. Then 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 you, you burn out your customer base, right? Because it's like, who, you know, who can one like whether it's money or just time or whatever it is like you know and i mean i know there you know i'm I'm sure somebody like dan would be like but there are these books and they're collected and they have them all in one like sitting and you can just buy it that and read it that way and that's probably probably is the best way to read it right but the the problem with that is i don't know if they kicked hickman off the book or he just quietly resigned or whatever but to me, I thought he was like the guiding light behind that. And then when he decided he was going to go fuck off, I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to go fuck off too. I'll tell you a funny one going to that. So who is the guy that does the the arrow head there? Guggenheimer? What was his name? 
Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, Mark Guggenheim. That the, he was the, writing X Men for a while, right? Right, right. So, do you know why he left? Mm -mm. I asked him flat out. I, I went and got a comic signed by him, and uh, I said, "So why'd you leave?" He said, "Because I wanted Kitty to marry Colossus, and they wouldn't let me." Mm. And his story was them getting married, but Marvel management decided that Kitty, if they married her off, she wouldn't be the young X-Men anymore. So that wasn't in line with what they wanted to do. Because they felt one of the biggest mistakes they ever made was marrying Peter Parker. And this is what he told me. Because then Peter was no longer relatable to the younger audience once he got married. It's funny that they, I mean, I, I don't know, it, it, you know, there's, there, you know, what's funny. <clears throat> I'm of the age where one of the earliest comics I ever read was the wedding of Peter and Mary Jane. So yeah, the two to me, that's the first book I remember with two covers to me, like that's almost normal do you know what i mean like like i was i was definitely used to the the quote-unquote marriage like it didn't you know ruin peter parker yeah. or make him unrelatable or anything now the the, the thing i always joke about it though was it, it totally ruined my concept of marriage because i just thought it'd be like you know a hot model chick dropping her uh, uh top every five minutes and letting me <laughs> take photos of her because that's not how marriage works but you know like but other than that, right, it was like, okay, fine, like this, you know, th th that was never a thing for me. However, I will say that I did a recent read through of uh, Kazar the Savage, which I had never read, like, at all, right? The and I was just one? like, uh, not, not the, the, not, well, I, I read a lot of the original stuff, but I had read some of the the Busima stuff before and, and some certain things, you know, like some stuff that Kirby did and whatever. I had read, you know, uh, like the, the Kubert run, you know, in the 90s. Like I had read certain Kazar, but I'd never read the one. It was like Bruce Jones and, um, you know, the, the shit Anthony's always selling, those pages. Yeah. You know, it's like the, the, the Brent Anderson or the, you know, occasionally like Friends got his start and he did a couple issues of it and whatever. I had never read that. And so I'm reading it, and from the original Kazar books to the time that starts, Kazar was single. And then Shauna shows up, and they're, I swear to God, they're insufferable, and then they get married, and I swear to Christ, I was like, I fucking hate you, Kazar, now. Like, you're such a simp fucking asshole. Like, 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 and, and then I was like, oh, my God, like, I was like, now I understand. Like, I'm not, I'm not excusing it. I don't think this way about Peter Parker and MJ. But for a moment, I was like, oh my god, now I know what Quesada and all those guys must feel like because yeah. I, I understood it with Kazar. Like, and I was like, wow, if this is how, like, if how I feel about having read Kazar is how they feel about Spider Man, then I comprehend why they did it, even though I don't agree with it if that makes sense no a hundred percent i just think it was funny that you know because i never really thought about co the, the politics of comics before mm -hmm. having that conversation with guggenheim and uh, you know obviously you're more of a historian for the medium than i was as a, a casual fan or whatever at that point but i was like wow so this dude 
wanted to do something. Editorial told him no, and he left. And that's why this story changed. And they pivoted to, you know, that's when Gambit and, and Rogue got married, right? Because they they built up this marriage thing. So they wanted, they pivoted. And that's why if you're, you, I don't know if you read those books or what have you, but it was like a sudden, like weird, why are they getting married? You know, whatever. how did this just happen? They built up the Colossus Kitty thing for a year. And then all of a sudden they just pivoted to the other, but talking to Guggenheim, it made so much sense why they had to do what they did, you know? Did I lose you? Are you sick of hearing me? Am I talking to myself? Sorry, I was muted. I don't know why I <laughs> muted myself. I was like talking back to you and I was like, wait a minute, why doesn't he hear me? Um, I, I was going to say, um, it's it's uh, the editorial stuff like that goes as far back as you know the death of Phoenix right the dark Phoenix oh, yeah. stuff right like, so I've done a lot of research that opened my mind though is what I'm saying so yeah I've done a lot of even did you ever read up on the X Factor stuff when they brought her back <clears throat> well like you you guys always talk about it but but I mean I know that you know originally like they were gonna have Dazzler be the fifth X Factor member and and there, there was all kinds of stuff where they didn't want to bring back Jean Grey originally and then and then it turned into what it turned into right like I think I think you know Byrne came up with the clever clever thing and I know Claremont fucking couldn't stand that you know what I mean so it's like there was always those you know, maybe more than editorial stuff, there was always like you're working in a shared universe and other people are playing with, quote unquote, your toys and, and people have big egos about that, you know, specifically like Byrne and Claremont, right? Like, I mean, after they stopped working together, they were always kind of, you know, or even guys like, say, like, uh, you know, Peter David and Eric Larson, like they were always sort of butting heads, you know, yep. uh, creatively, you know, like. No, I know if you if you go back, it's interesting though because if you look at X Factor at that time versus the X Men and the New Mutants and whatever other mutant titles Excalibur came after, they're in they have different editors because they X Factor Claremont wouldn't even let X Factor be in the same editorial house as the other X Men. Mm. He was so upset over it, so that's why it's written by 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 Weezy, and that's why mm. it's. That's why they have different villains. You ever think about those early X Factor issues? They're they're the original X Men, but they don't fight any of the X Men villains. Yeah, they made up they made up all their own. I mean, they made that's... up all their own. And that's why you know everybody kills Cyclops about abandoning Madeline because Madeline was a Claremont character. It was X Men character, so they couldn't do anything with it. Well, yeah, I mean that's just as much Claremont's fault as it is, you know, Cyclops' yeah. fault, right? Like, yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's just interesting as an adult looking back on that stuff to to kind of look at how things happened or why they happened, what didn't make sense in the comic, why it happened because of egos or whatever on the back. Well, like like you're saying, the politics of the, the situation, right? Like how, how there certain things played out one way or the other because, you know, somebody was editor-in-chief or maybe the, the 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 transitions were happening. Or like you said, they you know, at some point they had all those editorial fiefdoms, right? Like certain people only, you know, ran certain books. Like like there, there was that weird shit where it was like uh, – I think I, I forget who it was like the same guy who was editing all the stupid Spider-Man books at the time of the clone saga was also editing new warriors. So they like 
stuck the Scarlet Spider in the New Warriors and ma- made him a member and you know like just just weird shit like that where you're like oh the, the, you know they're just trying to you know throw darts at a board and see what sticks and, and try different things because they could you know 